cliffcentral.com. Is this thing on? You're listening to The Bounce Show. It's live. Well, not this bit, but it's live on clivecentral.com. Um, it's Cliff Central, Platt. <clears throat> Sorry, scrap that, delete it. Cliffcentral.com. <laughs> Welcome to it. This is the Bounce Show in its Thursday, Thursday new time slot. Um, I hope you enjoyed last week's show. It was a really cool chat with Mark Immelman on the golfing fronts. I was, um, it was quite cool because I got to pre-record the shows now. Well, the really cool interviews that is. Um, last week I was actually in Bloemfontein while the show was on. I was playing golf. You know, like my whole uh, must play the top 100 golf courses in the country thing. Well, I managed 80 courses now. That was Bloemfontein number 80. If you are in the area, definitely, definitely suggest you go play it. It's really, really cool. Uh, it's actually two golf courses there, but Bloemfontein is like, it's like, yeah, it's decent. Amazing greens, great layouts, just an old, old classic. So, Masters weekend just passed us. Um, always the big highlight for the golfing year. Um, we've got Chris Solomon from the No Laying Up podcast as this week's big guest. Uh, we chat all things Masters. We chat all things around golf. And, um, if you don't know, if you don't, obviously you would know about this podcast because I talk about it a lot on my Twitter feed. Uh, just how No Laying Up came to be. Um, how it is such a massive hit nowadays. How it is that, you know, the big players in world golf want to focus on this show and be on this show. It's that cool. Um, yeah, so that's a pretty decent interview. It won't touch on too much of the other sport this week. We just haven't got enough time. But yeah, end of the show, I'll bring you the, um, sort of previews of the big things to look out for fixture-wise for the weekend. I do want to get straight into it, though. Something that I've been finding very interesting is this whole Super Rugby meltdown as far as teams getting cut. Now, we all know that SA is losing two teams and Australia is losing one team, right? New Zealand, they're going to keep their five. The Shakiwadas from Argentina, they stay as well. And then, of course, the Sunwolves also stay, all in a whole meaning of broadening the game kind of thing, right? So in Australia, we know here in South Africa, we might not know too much about it because our understanding is that rugby union is a much lesser sport. Uh, if they chop a team, that could be too upset. Well, an old crusty old guy called Alan Jones. Now this guy's such a legend. Uh, he got, I think his name's, uh, his name's Cameron Klein. Uh, he's like the, the rugby union supremo there, basically their version of Yuri Yuru. And uh, he had such a great interview with him. So I'm going to play a little highlights of this for you before we get into the interview with Chris Solomon from No Laying Up. It is one of the best roasts I think I've ever heard. Um, take all the computational ones aside. This guy absolutely slaughtered him. Uh, it was just so, so good. I had to start the show with it this week. So basically, um, he wants to know why a team is getting cut but the Japanese Sunwolves team will stay in the Aussie conference. So like all good interviews, he tries to tear it up, but it doesn't take long until he really, he really gets stuck into him. So this is Alan. The conference is going to continue with five teams, but one of those teams is going to be axed and we're going to accommodate Japan. How lovely. I never knew that Australian rugby was responsible for the well-being of Japanese rugby. <laughs> So as you can see from the tone straight away, this guy means business, right? So he brings his camera into the studio and uh, obviously tees him up, and this is how it carries on. And so we knife an Australian team, and they know nothing about it yet, these poor coots, and we stick in Japan. Cameron Klein, who's the chairman of Australian Rugby, has agreed to join me in the studio. He's right here beside me. Good morning, and thank you for your time. Pleasure, Alan. Could you explain firstly to me, as well as to everybody else, what are the credentials of those people on the board of Australian Rugby, including yourself, 
to be determining the future and direction of Australian rugby. So I think you can pick it up right now. Alan maybe not having a lot of faith in this board, so Cameron Stradaway needs to kind of defend himself. Yes, I'd be happy to, but before I'd like just to address that we're prioritising Japan, we're prioritising Australia, Alan. We can't afford five teams. It's got nothing to do with Japan. We have put $28 million of money into the Australian franchises to keep them afloat, and that has damaged our ability to invest in grassroots. But hang on, you were the mob that increased it from 15 to 18. Yeah, that's a separate issue. Well, who who increased it from 15 to 18? Uh, bear in mind, this is the start of the interview, right? Alan's going in guns blazing at this whole thing of, well, who was the guy in charge? He wants Cameron to literally take claim for this right, right off the bat. You've made a wrong decision. Why don't you all resign? Alan, <laughs> the point I'm making is... Who made the decision to go from 15 to 18? So throughout the interview, the, the questions don't stop. I mean, he really does lay into this guy. Why didn't you exercise the power of veto? And if you didn't, and if you've plunged Australian rugby into a mess as a result, aren't you on a bound to say, we failed, we'll give someone else a go, get out of the scene? He's the... <laughs> what he's getting at here, of course, is that if it was such a bad idea, why did Australia go through it in making 18 teams? And of course, like all good corporate suit kind of guys, he wants to talk about it's actually money that's, that's there. He needs to make more money in order to make this thing happen. Alan's having none of it. It's the game. But well, what, well, hang but, on. No, it doesn't pay for the game. What pays for the game is quality rugby. And you have constantly told us all that you were going to ignite Australia's passion. I'm putting to you that the people on the board of Australian rugby aren't qualified to do that job. I think, quite frankly, most of you know bugger all about the game and how to get results. You'll get If you get people through the turnstiles, you'll make money. You said you'd ignite Australia's passion for the game, and I'm reading these words, build sustainable success in the professional era. Well, since 2003, you've not won a Bledisloe Cup. Since 2003, you've not beaten the British Lions. Since 2003, you haven't won a World Cup. Since 2003, you haven't won an under-20 World Championship. We've won eight out of 31 games in Super Rugby, none out of 12 against New Zealand. Now, your product is flawed. So right, if this was a boxing fight, it would be over right about now, right? Alan is just laying into this guy. But he makes a really good point is that Sands are um, all those kind of people. They just believe more teams equal more money equal more success. But it hasn't worked. It's completely failed. And as Alan does point out here, it's such a failed system. That the people in charge should really just get the boot. Well, that's what he believes anyway. And he carries on to show how fa- failed these guys are. That's why you can't pay your way. You come from a commercial world, don't you say, well, if that's what everything we've done, if that's what the end result is, we've failed, we'd better give it to someone who can succeed. I went through the ARU annual reports since 2007. Now, all you rugby followers, get your head around this. This crowd have spent $777 million. What have we got to show for it? Alan, we are making a very clear decision here to prioritise Australian rugby. We cannot afford five super teams. Well, that's rubbish. We cannot afford. That's the facts. We well, have... only because you run the show badly. <laughs> uh, Cameron, what his, his counter argument is that you know they can't have another team because the team, the money they're putting into keeping a team afloat, they need to put into grassroots uh, rugby. Cameron, of course, is trying very hard, but Alan will have a retort with that. Where the, f- the money going is, it's not going to grassroots. You yourself said you've got to fix the floor. What we're doing is we cannot afford to continue to put money into the super franchises at the expense of grassroots. We just found out that the grassroots exist, do we? You've been there for a long time. Hang on, we didn't have an opportunity. We <laughs> didn't have an opportunity. $777 million, for God's sake. What have you done with it? No, you had that- no... Did you... <laughs> 
He also brings up a really great point is the fact that what's the communication process been like with the Force and the Rebels? Because it's between one of these two teams they're going to get chopped, right? They were the last in, so probably the first out. And uh, there's been various high-level meetings, and Alan really probes him on the communication here. Did you speak to the Western Force or the Rebels before you went to the meeting? We speak to them all the time. Did you speak to Western Force or the Rebels before you went to the meeting? <laughs> we speak to all the franchises. Did you tell them that one of these teams was going to be chopped? No, because we didn't know at that time. And Se- this guy's gold. I'm going to start looking out for more stuff, because if this is his line of, of questioning, I, I want to hear more of this. I'm glad you agree with something, because quite frankly, I don't think you people ever talk to anyone who know anything. We do. And let me come back to... I really presided over failure. (laughs) Why don't you move on and let someone else have a go? Are (laughs) they going to get the chop? I'm not commenting on who's getting the chop at the point. When will we know who's going to get the chop? The Western Force, by the way. When will we know who will get the chop? Well, there's legal... So the whole thing through this interview, he keeps coming back to the same questions because he wants an answer. He really, really wants an answer. And then it all comes back to the reality of that. Well, there's been contracts signed for 2020, right? There's lots of money involved here. And Cameron can't get away from this. And Alan is just grilling him on it. There's legal action going. So as soon as possible. But Alan, it is a financial problem. Well, you're a businessman. Go and raise the money. What are you doing? How much money have you raised for Australian rugby? And anor- I put an enormous amount in How much money have you raised I'm not getting me? into the personal thing. Oh, I ra- Alan, oh, I'm not bank of this bloke. So you're going to drag rugby through the courts, are you? <laughs> no, I'm not dragging rugby through the courts. Uh, he's just constantly trying to make him accountable for this actual, absolute shit show, which it has become. And anybody who really, I mean, Alan's very much involved in, in, in Aussie rugby and he's been invested in this whole thing and he's been actually... He's been pioneering a lot of things to get money into this, the expansion of rugby union, because it isn't the biggest sport in Australia. And you can just see he hates these suits like Cameron. He absolutely hates them. And now here we've got an ARU board that didn't, I might add, you talk about grassroots. You've only just found out they exist. No. You didn't attend the Shoot Shield final last year. Who went to the Shoot Shield final? I did. did you? Yes, I did. Oh, Absolutely, Alan. And let me just talk about grassroots. I was at the Shoot Shield and right. I was at schoolboys rugby every week and okay. I'm at club rugby. Sorry, what is it? Is that the Sheep Shield, the Shoot Shield? I, I, I can't pick that up. Rugby every week. Right. But you're dealing with a game which has a scoreboard, Cameron. And when you look at the Australian rugby scoreboard, the scoreboard's dreadful. The results are terrible. We've got a lot of money spent and nothing to show for it. I'm glad they've spoken to us. And, we'll, and I'll come back and again. speak as often as you want, Alan, I'll, because we, you stuff. can hold us accountable and we're good getting stuff. back to grassroots. Well done. Cameron Klein, the chairman of Australia. <laughs> well done. <laughs> So the full interview uh, you can catch on the bounce.co.za when I put up this whole uh, the show podcast up. So yeah, interesting times in rugby. And uh, as Yuri Ru was saying here in SA, there's no ways there can be six teams in SA. It's going to be cut down to five. But he also said, and he admitted as much, it's quite strange how he's suddenly becoming so transparent. But he says Super 12 was the best thing. Sure, stuck at 12. Greed and selfishness took it further, and uh, that's where we find ourselves now. So that's uh, Super Rugby. You can find that story all over the place, and eventually that chop's going to happen. Uh, I think only in August we'll find out which Super Rugby team gets chopped from South Africa, but they are looking to hasten the whole process. Anyway, like I've been saying, um, there's certain podcasts I really, really love online, and uh, one that I picked up and got really involved in last year was the No Laying Up podcast. So I got chatting to a guy called Chris Solomon. He is the man behind this. He created it, started it, and um, I managed to have some time with him last night on a little pre-record, which I can share with you right now. All right, so last week we had Mark Immelman on the show. I told you I was going to bring some heavy hitters golf-wise. Um, I kind of said Mark was one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, look, I wasn't lying, but I think my favorite podcast online, and if you follow me on Twitter, you'll realize this, it is the No Laying Up podcast. And I have Chris Solomons with me, the man behind the No Laying Up podcast. Chris, i got to say, um, I, I tried to speak to the big stars, mostly because in sports, especially South African sport, 
they they're quite one dimensional. So I think you're actually probably the biggest name I've had on the show since it started. You need to aim much higher than that, man, because I promise you, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not fitting the bill as far as a big name. <laughs> but uh, I appreciate you having me on, and I appreciate the intro. Okay, so hugely modest, um, Chris. Your, your, your <laughs> podcast is something that I discovered. I think I followed Shane Bacon before I started following you, um, and I got got on through him. It was just something I really enjoyed because, like, I love golf so much. But unfortunately, in South Africa, we have the Sunshine Tour. Um, and the stuff they do is, well, it's beige on beige. It's pretty bloody average. So, you know, at best we can watch inside the PGA tour. And that was like my thing. And then like your podcast opened me up to the fact that golf is still very much fun. Um, how is it that you, you, you sort of started this? I mean, everyone's got a bit of a story of how they do something as they're passionate about, but what's, what led you into this? I'm not sure if it's a crazy story or a really boring story. To me, from my perspective, it seems pretty crazy in that um, me and two friends from college were on like a group texting chain for years. And it, I mean, our, you know, it's any kind of group texting chain. We cover a range of topics, you know, golf, basketball, football, baseball. We, we'd be betting on college, American college football games, all that stuff. And it kind of shifted more and more towards golf and the stuff that they were coming up with, the inside jokes, the themes and stuff that uh, it, it was hilarious to me. It was so good. And I, I, I kind of fed off their creative energy and just said, guys, we need to like do something like with this. Like we have a good chemistry. And so we turned it in. We decided let's just start a Twitter account. And we started a, a golf related Twitter account and we shared the account for a long time. And it was kind of a, it was really slow going in the beginning trying to, you know, get anyone's attention or anybody to listen where the, you know, the followers were coming in very, very slowly. And we got kind of bored with the Twitter account and said, let's, let's take this to more of a medium that we can reach people and show that, you know, we're more than just like snarky, sarcastic and, uh, tweets that people probably don't even understand yet or probably don't get the inside joke. So we started the website, nolangup.com on January 1st, 2014, and really just put our heads down and we're grinding, producing content that no one was reading back in the day. I mean, if we got 25 people to go to the website in a day, it was a huge success. And we had a podcast that went with it. Um, we started that this actually about three years ago this week, actually, we did, did we recorded one at the uh, RBC Heritage when we were all there in person. And since that moment, we actually, the four of us have never been together in person. Uh, I live in Europe. Uh, one guy now lives in Florida, Tron. Uh, Phil lives in Columbus, Ohio. And Neil lives out in San Francisco. And, uh, you know, we just kind of kept our heads down and kept producing content. Every now and then we'd do a podcast and, um, you know, had some, had a, a lot of help with guy from guys like Shane Bacon and Kyle Porter, who back when we, nobody had any idea who we were. Um, we, I asked them to do a podcast. They would drop everything and do it. So that kind of helped us get some exposure. And from there, it was just a really, uh, strange organic growth that I don't think any of us predicted. I, mean, I moved overseas less than a year into uh, starting the website. Kind of, it was still just a side hobby. It wasn't a business for us. It wasn't anybody's full time job. It's still not anyone's full time job. And I didn't know what the future of it was. And it just kept kind of growing and growing. And the power of social media, those kind of things just kind of exponentially grow. And once we started to get through to some of the players, and Justin Thomas was the first player we had on the podcast, once we were able to do that, you know, I'm able to go to the next guy and say, hey, Justin Thomas did this. He enjoyed it. Would you like to? And they say yes. And it all kind of crescendoed last fall when. 
we were able to get Roy McElroy on the pod, and then that led to Jordan Speed, and that led to Bones, and you know, it's just been kind of one hit after another, and that's that's kind of the the, the three year story wrapped up in a couple minutes. I don't know if that's more detailed than you wanted, but man, it's been a lot of fun and kind of a crazy journey that we could not have predicted. Wow, that, that, that was a lot. That was very good. So when you, when you started, obviously it was a bit of fun. I know from starting my own website, the same kind of thing. I was just tired of what we saw and between some friends, you know, we just started talking and formalizing things. Um, did you kind of want to get into the point where you became so well known for your sort of player interviews? Not really, man. It was, uh, to be honest, I kind of, I get a little more nervous over the player interviews. I'm not like a natural interviewer, I wouldn't say. I, what I loved about doing the podcast was how unscripted it was when we would talk. I wouldn't make notes. I wouldn't do anything. I would just freewheel and talk golf with somebody for an hour. And I kind of missed those days a little bit back when we were lucky to get a 1,000 people to download an episode. I didn't think about it at all. Now – I, I think about sometimes while I'm doing it, I think about, you know, a small uh, football stadium worth of people that will be listening to it. And I'm a lot more careful sometimes <laughs> in what I say. And, you know, you, the, the people are actually listening and reacting to it. You have a lot more responsibility, I would say, that, um, you know, you can't be as lazy with the, some of the things you say in passing because somebody really might take something the wrong way. Um and no, I, to be honest, like when I haven't done a player interview, or I haven't spoken with a player before. I have no idea what to expect and don't know what they're going to give you. So I prepare a list of like questions um, just to kind of go off of. And it's it's hard because I really don't consider myself a natural interviewer. It's hard to, you know, react to what they say, yet also kind of have an idea of where you want to take it next. Um, but we do try to keep it as lighthearted as possible. I like doing both though. I like, I love talking to the guys. I know our listeners really enjoy kind of the, the behind the scenes uh, insight from the players, but also love talking to other kind of golf media people just to share our opinions and just discuss the things that are happening. So the, the, the difficult part is I know that there's players out there that listen to it. So it's become a lot more challenging to be critical and I need to be better about, you know, taking the kid gloves off and, you know, being critical against some guys that I know listen to it. But, uh, again, this is not something I ever planned for uh, that I do professionally so it's all kind of learning on the go well it's something that does come across I know you're playing it down saying you're not a natural interviewer but you know you really get the impression that you you've researched these people you've got a great understanding of the game um you know Roy McElroy was someone who's been what on your show twice now he has yes he, he's someone who seems to be more comfortable talking to you than maybe talking to the mainstream press is this something that you kind of pick up that the players kind of gravitate towards you more because you're kind of almost like one of them, someone they can relate to. And that was that's honestly one of the, one of the first meetings we ever had. We talked about kind of wanting wanting to get through to the players and be seen by the players as someone or people that knew what they were talking about and they could relate to. Um, I think the players appreciate kind of the long form interview where uh, they can the, the listener can hear the inflection in their voice. They can hear them tell a story. They can hear the entire context of a quote. It's not questions that are coming from a press conference. Like a question in a press conference is going to be guided towards what that writer wants to write about. Yeah. So it doesn't really have a natural flow to it. You're getting, you know, eight different newspapers or websites asking different questions, whatnot. 
this is kind of one guy asking questions and let's and you let it build off of each other. So they tell a story. You can react to that story and you can kind of feed off of what they're saying. And it has a lot better flow to it. And you're going straight to your listeners. Right. I mean, what something that happens is that somebody will listen to a pod every time I do a podcast with Rory or Jordan. Uh, the websites take the the biggest hits from it and make a headline out of it. I think the players, if you ask them, they would say they like the kind of doing the podcast because it it can kind of circumvent the I don't want to say gotcha media, but that kind of looking for the juiciest story out of something that somebody says and they can twist it any way. So yeah. I get kind of upset when they take something that somebody says and put it into a two minute post that doesn't really tell the story of what they were trying to say. So I don't know. I think Rory. Rory's had his ups and downs with the media over the course of his career, and he does kind of appreciate this new style of media and enjoy the laid back style and able to joke and laugh and, you know, um, say things that aren't too serious and everyone can hear it and know that he's not too serious. So I definitely do sense a shift. And man, ever since we had Rory on, I've, I, we've been fortunate enough that players have come to us and wanting to do it and, uh, and wanting to get their stuff out there, which I, I could have never pictured that even like a year ago. So, um, it's a lot of fun to do. And I, I just, I love that, uh, our listeners are so encouraging about it and are so, they, they reach out to the players and say, thank you for doing it. You know, I, I'm just, I'm just the medium. Like I'm just kind of there to help them tell their story. I love the fact that the players get the opportunity to tell their story directly to people. But it's great because you're basically facilitating this conversation where people couldn't ordinarily be in it. And now they're in it. Thanks to you. You're like, you're almost like the cool big brother that can like pull people in. And you know, I'm sure they appreciate that. Well, I mean, I, I like I don't know how much in South Africa people are familiar with Bill Simmons. He was a uh, he was with ESPN for a long time and now he's on his as his own website, The Ringer. But his podcast, like he just did a couple of them with Kevin Durant from the NBA that it's just like the two of them having dinner and talking sports. And, and that was the whole kind of goal for us was if you're in a bar with a player or with anyone talking golf, how would you talk about it? And that's kind of how we do it. We not, you know, it's not formal journalism. It's not, you know, uh, we're not trying to drive home narratives. We want to hear stories. We want to hear what life is like for these guys and make them more relatable. So, sure. uh, that's, that's been the goal and that's kind of how it's, what it's turned into. And it's, it's the most fun part for me, for sure. Okay. Well, I, I would like to touch on just a few more things about that, but I have to obviously ask you about the Masters because that just happened. I'm still, I mean, like time zone. You say you're in Europe right now. You must have been up until what, like three in the morning watching that. <laughs> I, uh, well, I, we recorded a Masters wrap up podcast as soon as play finished, which, yeah, it was, I don't know when play exactly finished. I was wired. It probably finished around 1 32 a.m. Yeah. And then we recorded it and I posted it and I just, like, just found out today that I left like 15 seconds of dead air time in it. I completely blame that <laughs> on the fact that I posted it at 3 30 in the morning. But usually being in Europe, uh, and you, I guess we're, we're in the same time zone right now. Yeah. Uh, I like, you know, being able to watch golf at night. I can go out and have a full day. And then as the sun's setting, I, you know, flip the golf on. Uh, the Masters usually runs a little late into the night. The U.S. Open when it's out west really, really messes oh, me up. Nice. But, um, no, I like kind of being in this time zone watching golf because I don't have to be inside while it's really nice out usually i'm inside at night and you know i, I travel a lot on on, uh, on weekends and i can usually make it home on sunday night in time to see the finish of the golf so uh yeah it was a late night but man that was that was uh now that we're a couple days removed from it i've been trying to, not to go too crazy with hyperbole as to where i put it but 
it's it's you know non-tiger related i'd say easily one of my three favorite masters of all time i'm not sure where does it rank up there for you uh well masters have been bittersweet uh, obviously travel Immelman won it from a south african perspective and that was kind of cool ernie has always fucked out in it that's not cool uh <laughs> <laughs> and then um, obviously Louis Oosthuizen losing to Bubba Watson, so there's, there's, yeah. been, there's been big moments. But I, I really loved this one. My only problem with, with it was the fact that it became a two horse race pretty quickly, and it was almost felt like the Masters, like any other good tournament, you got to have a guy that's making a charge, is putting pressure on the leaders, and he's forcing them into doing stuff. Um, yeah, you know, I'm a big Ricky Fowler fan. Uh, I love Spieth as well, and the, the two of them just went out and hit the skids. And if I were to be hypercritical, it would be the fact that that happened. Um, yeah, and I know, like US ratings wise, they were saying that it was, I think, at the worst ratings since 2004 because of that, and the fact that it was a really nice spring day, so people were outside. <laughs> yeah, no, it, did, it didn't do well in ratings. I think you're right in that it wasn't that you know hit 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 you know with the TV coverage. Let's go over to 15. This guy could catch him, and let's see what's happened at 13. I think the broadcast, and I'm not sure what the broadcast is like in South Africa or if you guys get the CBS feed, but they didn't do a great job of showing how much of a charge Thomas Peters made. Totally I mean, he had a you. chance yeah. uh, for Eagle on 13, I think. And I don't remember exactly, but uh, he did make a run and got within two, I think, at one point and even had a chance to get within one. And they didn't really present that part of the story very well. So, um, it, it, but it, it, that was kind of forcing it. And I know Matt Kuchar, when he aced 16, he got to minus five, which was within three, but still not really the opportunity to run those guys down. But, um, yeah, it, it wasn't the prettiest showdown really until the 14th hole. And, but then on the, all the way in there, that was some of the most exciting golf I can remember watching in the last five, six years, I think. But I almost get the impression the Masters is a bit like Game of Thrones. You know, like, you know, it's a huge success. Everyone loves it. There's so much hype. There's the theme tune and all that kind of stuff. But there's so much happening. But then they'll spend so much time on like the most boring stuff. And I'm pretty sure we get the same kind of international feed. So I'm, I'm just like, I love the Masters so much, but I just feel that like they, they try almost too hard to be a unique tournament from time to time. Did you like, do you pick that up as far as majors go? Well, I, you and I are probably, not the target audience for the television like on Sunday of the Masters, right? Because their whole thing is they pull in a lot of people that only watch the Masters. So it's probably not for the diehard golf fan. That that Sunday broadcast or even the weekend broadcast or any coverage of the Masters is the people that turn in to see the scenery and, you know, see the places where they watch Jack Nicklaus win so many times and use it to take their afternoon nap and whatnot. So um, (laughs) it's not the most ideal viewing for a hardcore fan. And they do offer a lot of view, like you can view online. I know internationally you can't unless you sneak through a US VPN. but it, it's still you have a hard time really getting to see what you want to see. And, um, yeah, it, it, I don't know. I, I have a, a lot of criticisms, I think, of the way CBS does golf tournaments to begin with. And I, those are well documented on our podcast to the point where people are probably sick of me, bring, uh, you know, present, uh, even arguing that anymore. But my whole thing is the way they present a tournament is so material it's so important to a viewer like there are there are eye into the game they decide what we get to see we have no other options really so i think their role is so so important to the growth of the game and i'm not a big grow the game guy i I, to be honest like uh, i i like talking golf with 
with intense, you know, hard golf fans, the fringe fan, I have a lot harder time relating to, and it's not the biggest concern to me. I think I, I like, uh, I like the kind of niche group of golf and being able to talk, to talk to that group. But yeah, it's not, I love the masters the same way you just said you did. I think this is the year though, kind of where I was like, I think I love it too much. I think I might need to dial it back a little (laughs) bit. It's, it's a great, great tournament, but I was like rearranging plans and, and whatnot to make sure I saw every single stinking minute of it. And I think I think I might need to dial it back at least a little bit in the future. Yeah, well, that's the cool thing. We've got like another 11 and a half months, whatever it is, until we get back into that Masters fever. So in that stage, we kind of neutralize again. But it's just like small things to me, like the, the lack of pro tracer. You know, people got to shape it around that golf course more than we might think. You know, small things like that really piss me off. Like they go to the greens and a lot of the tournaments, they show the slopes and they show what's going on. And, um, it's just small things like that. I think they can really step it up. But, um, getting onto Sergio, like something I find quite interesting is that people suddenly find this guy is like the messiah of golf all of a sudden. And he's like this mm-hmm. absolute hero. I, I found that I found the tweets quite interesting. People saying, Oh, he's the most deserving winner of a major of all time, really pulling for this guy. Like, okay, maybe it's just me, but I, I've never particularly liked Sergio. I don't know if I can ever trust a guy who throws a shoe on a golf course, amongst other mm-hmm. things. But now all of a sudden he wins his thing and like all is forgotten. Are, are you, are you buying into that? I totally 100% see where you're coming from. And, uh, for me, I've not always, I, I've probably only been a Sergio fan for maybe the past three years. And that is kind of a function of the people that I run with. The other no laying up guys are big Sergio fans. Some of my other, you know, friends in the, in the golf Twitter world and whatnot are also big Sergio fans. And it's kind of had an influence on me and opened my eyes towards uh, the fact that I really do think he has matured. Now, some people have a hard time getting over him spitting in a cup and, you know, making racial comments about Tiger Woods and yeah. throwing a shoe on a golf course. And he, he's not have a great past. Um, and he, he's dramatic. He's extreme. He's been extremely dramatic. But it seems like in his late 30s, he's matured into this guy that I've I've, I've drawn towards. I'm intrigued by him. This this struggle of going 70 three majors without winning one it's fascinating to me and for so long we've always done that is he going to win a major and my friends pick him to win i'm like are you guys crazy he is <laughs> never going to win one of these why do you guys keep picking him i think i even said it in my preview podcast like um i didn't think dj would ever really break through in the same way that people are like when sergio going to win a major i just don't think he's going to and just to, to see all of that history culminate into one moment on that 18th green where he made that putt to win by two, I just found that amazing. I really did. I, and and I'm, I'm 30, so I've basically seen all of Sergio's career. Um, I think if I, if, if I was 10 years younger, I may not have the full appreciation for everything we've seen him go through. And the thing that maybe isn't the best known, and maybe it is better than, than I, than I think, is what he goes through in a tournament in the U.S. There's not a player that's more heckled than Sergio. Some would argue he's mo- the most deserving of it based on his past, but um, I don't. I don't think he's done really much of anything in the last three, four years that's worthy of being heckled. And I, I remember he did an interview. I think it was with Golf Magazine where he just talked about the effect that heckling has on him. And I just that was kind of my my pivotal moment. I was like, this is a guy I'm rooting for. Like I, I don't. I don't think somebody. 
as much as you dislike them, and I, I there's plenty of players I dislike, I don't think you should ever be harassed on the golf course while you're playing professionally your sport. I don't think that's fair. I just don't think that's something a player should have to go through. So that kind of also helped turn me to start rooting for the guy. But again, for the people that dislike him still, I can understand that. I'm, I wouldn't. I'm not going to sit here and try to convince you to like him or you know convince you to root for this story or forget everything that's happened. I know Padraig Harrington had comments this week that he definitely does not forget all the things that Sergio has said and done, and he they don't get along very well, and he called him a sore loser. So he's not over it. He's a guy that's been in the arena with him. I respect that opinion a lot. But for me personally, I just thought it was I thought it was theater to see a guy overcome that many demons and in a sport like golf that is just so incredibly mental, the margin of error being so small. Um, you know, any of those putts that lipped in for him, if they lip out, he misses the playoff by one. It's just, it's, it's amazing to me. I, I'm, I'm happy for the guy and, uh, I, I'm just happy that, you know, we got this story. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, like, I, I will, I will try and move on in life. I don't like, I don't like the guy. I mean, he's no Bubba Watson for that instance, but I just, it, it, I was kind of almost <laughs> okay with the fact that he was always going to be the guy who hadn't won a major. But the way he won it, he was almost like he was trying to Sergio it. Like, you could just see the way he was missing putts and he was hitting balls all over the place. But the, the, that finish, it really was great. And, it, you know, it's, people will say it's like a great major. It, I still say Stenson versus Mickelson was probably better in recent times, obviously, for obvious reasons. Yes. But, yeah, but like good yes. for him. And a part of me thinks that maybe it was this new girlfriend. He seems to become a better guy since the, like she came on the scene. He seems to be a lot more together and with it. Which is, I'll tell you what it wasn't. It was not Sevy's 60th birthday. No matter how many times they tried to force that. <laughs> they tried so hard. <laughs> Oh, my God. I could not believe that. Um, yeah, it, it very well could be, you know, and, uh, and and it could be a bit of revisionist history on his part. But him talking about, you know, where his low point on Sunday, you know, in the pine straw left of 13, he said, you know, maybe in the past I would have said, why doesn't that go through? And why didn't that yeah. go through? And it would have gotten upset about the break he got. Uh, and he just kind of focused and said he was calm and just said, I'm going to play this out and not worry about the break that I just got. I don't think it was necessarily a bad break, but yeah. the past Sergio may have blamed the, the break for that. So um, I don't know. I think that there's something to that. I don't think that the old version of Sergio would have had the mental fortitude to recover from that. You know, two strokes down from Rose sitting in the middle of the fairway. He's dropping in the pine straw, playing three left of the fairway on 13, and he came back and beat him. Like that, I, no, I'm sorry, that was 99 out of 100 times that in that setting that Rose is going to win that. Rose should have birdied that hole. Sergio could have easily bogeyed it. If that happens, it's over. The yeah. fact that he got that they got the same score on that hole, I couldn't have predicted. And then he recovers two strokes coming in. Fantastic. It's just a really cool extra dynamic. Like people always go on the back, like, you know, without Tiger Golf's not the same game. And to a large degree, I obviously agree with that, but we've all got to move on. I think stop, you know, leave the guy alone. This poor guy, he's like being tested all the time. Like when he's coming back, is he pulling out? Do you think now, like in the next sort of Tiger era that, um, golf is kind of moving in the right direction and will now create its own identity post that? I do kind of back towards what I was saying earlier for the golf fans. Uh, I think for the hardcore golf fans like myself, like yourself, I don't need Tiger. Um, I think golf is more interesting, obviously, when he's playing well. But I honestly didn't think about him the entire weekend, the whole week. You know, it's been so long. It's We are in the post-Tiger era. Like anything we get from him going forward will be a bonus. Um, but at the same time, I'm looking around. 
I forget how old Charlie Hoffman is. I think he's 40 or so. And mm-hmm. seeing that, it, and you know, knowing that Tiger's 41, I just feel cheated. I feel like this shouldn't be the way that it ends, you know. And no, this is a topic that's been covered so at great, great lengths, but. It just doesn't feel – it's not like he's super old. He just had a body that broke down way too early. That doesn't really happen to golfers. I know, I'm not saying it, it doesn't literally happen, but how many how many players you know that have won majors that have had their bodies completely give out like before the age of 40? I don't know if we have an ex- like a good example on that. Ben Hogan was in a car accident, but his body recovered, and he won majors after that. I mean it, it's – it's just it's golf is the sport you're supposed to be able to play into your 60s. Um, I thought we'd see a 55 year old Tiger Woods still, you know, throwing up some numbers at Augusta and make us think about it every now and then. Um, but it's just it just it feels cheated. It just it's a fascinating story. It really is. There's a reason people talk about it and write about it. It's it's amazing that uh, the guy that went from the top of the game all the way to the bottom, and uh, there's no sign of him coming back from the bottom. But I don't know. I, the, with the current crop, the young players and the, the personalities out on tour, uh, I, I'm I'm pretty thrilled with, with the current state of the game. I know when there's – and a lot of those players in the top 20, when they're contending, I'm definitely making sure I'm tuning into it. And that, that to me, tells me that there's something going good, going on good in golf. But you think of Tiger, okay, so he's in his 40s now, and he really looked old in Dubai. That's the last time I think he played. Now, if you look at, like, the current state of golf, I watched Roy McIlroy live at the SA Open in January, and it was a really amazing sporting experience for me. But I look at all that media attention, I look at all the fanfare, and I look how draining it must be for these guys. If you were to look at, say, Dustin Johnson, uh, you know, Spieth, Day, Fowler, Rory, of course, all those guys – do you think that they'll actually end up playing into their 40s? If you really look at it, okay, these guys, I mean, Jordan Spieth made like $50 million before the age of 22. These guys make stupid money, right? They get to do whatever they want. None of them were ever, ever going to catch Jack Nicklaus's major record. I mean, I can pretty much put cock and block and say it's never going to happen. Do, yep. you see, do, do you see a lot of these guys suddenly, you know, with like family obligations or the fact that they just couldn't, re- they never, they couldn't really care anymore? Do you reckon this could be a trend with the superstars? I think Rory's even mentioned it, and I know Jay Day has mentioned it, that he doesn't see himself playing, you know, deep into his 40s. And I, I asked Charles Hallow this, actually, because he's he's 37 now. He's 13 years away from the Champions Tour. And he's kind of that first wave of guys that caught the Tiger money huge. I mean, I think he's top yeah. 25 in career earnings all time. And I asked him, like, do you want to go grind for more money on the Champions Tour? And he was, he's, he's the best interview. I don't know if you've ever got a chance to, to hear him, but I, I, I did. Like, I really enjoyed the fact that he actually put a, a monetary value to what he thought Tiger did for his career. <laughs> that was yeah. Crazy. That's, that's one of my favorite questions for players as well. But he's like, I, I don't know if I want to, to be honest. I mean, I, I don't have, I don't, he didn't sense, he's a long ways away from it. I mean, 13 years is a long time, but it didn't, it didn't, you know, make a ton of sense to me for him to go out there and play. But some of these guys, that's their lot. Like that's what they do. Like golf is what they do. And yeah. Steve Stricker is kind of semi-retired, but he still goes out and plays a lot of really good golf. So you look at a guy like Phil, who doesn't really do much international travel anymore. Um, plays eighteen tournaments maybe a year, not quite, maybe even less than that. I don't know. I think those guys are gonna they're gonna want to at least play the majors until they kick them off. Like that, that I know. Maybe they play twelve events. Maybe Rory doesn't play European and PGA Tour schedule. I don't know exactly um, what what the forties mean, but I, the, the way the guys can stay healthy 
Uh, you know, look at look, Phil's not a guy I would have thought would have aged as well as he has, and he has not really shown much sign of light letting up. That you know he's going to contend at majors probably for at least another three four years. So um, I don't know. It, it's hard to to these guys care so much about legacy that I have a hard time seeing them just give up totally. Because what is what is your life unless they have something you really want to do in that time? Maybe you really want to spend a lot of time with family and whatnot. But golf is what you do. That's what you do. And, uh, you know, unless you get these athletes tend to want to be pursuing something at, at all times, you know, athletes that have made a ton of money like Shaq. He still is announcing. I don't know how much he gets paid to, to announce basketball or, or to cover it, but he still wants to be involved in it, even though he can't play it anymore. He has more money than he can spend. So yeah. that kind of thing. I, I think the money thing is uh, these all these guys are going to have more money they can than they can spend. But they want to be a part of the game. It's part of their legacy. They don't want to be the guy that walked away and was never heard from. So. Um, as long as you're going to be around the game, I think a lot of them are going to going to. I think they're going to play longer than they think they're going to. Is basically what I'm saying. Yeah, I guess and all that media hype will die down a bit, you know, with youngsters coming through and other big names. But now that Sergio has won, obviously the big question is who now is the best player in the world not hmm. to win a major? And poor Lee Westwood. I mean, this guy, <laughs> he just needs to be left alone as well. Now he's played what I think it's 76 without getting a, a title. Hard to see he'll do it. But I think that the, the question should be kind of rephrased. Like, who's the next guy who's going to win a major who hasn't done it yet? And if you look at the list, it's a pretty comprehensive one. If I had to run, run these names by you, who do you reckon will be the first obvious pick who's going to win the next sort of major amongst this crop? So looking at Rom, Peters, Fowler, Kepka, Matsuyama, Reed, who do you reckon will be the next one to come out? Well, I'm on record as saying that I think Brooks Kepka is going to win the Open Championship this year. So from that, I'm going to say Kepka. Um, if I'm looking at it for like starting fresh right now, uh, Jake Nichols is a guy I follow on Twitter, and anyone that everyone that is a golf fan should as well. J- Jal Nichols is his Twitter name. He's a very stats based guy, really really smart guy. He's of the opinion that Rom is the great, is the best player on the planet. Like currently already and he's a guy whose opinion i respect a lot so in that regard i think rom is probably the most talented player on the planet currently that doesn't have a major i know i've, I've heard a lot of people discussing that this week like how do you categorize as best player without a major etc who has rom certainly doesn't have the best resume he's 22 23 years old like he has not been out there that long westwood probably has the biggest resume um now, I'm a, seeing DJ and Sergio break through. I now believe that anyone can win, can break through. Like those are two guys that I just, you know, had a hard time picturing breaking through because of how many times they've been close and blown it. Mm. Um, so I, I, I think. I don't know. Peters terrifies me as an American Ryder Cup fan. I think he's <laughs> that guy's game is incredible. So uh, I, I had so much fun watching him at the Ryder Cup. That's basically my really, really not very well done job of answering that question i named everyone uh to answer your question overall i think rom is the most talented player that hasn't won a major but uh again i'm gonna i, I can't I, I make picks before the year for the majors and i don't change them and i picked kepka to win the open so uh that's what i'm going with and to look at players that are kind of falling away um getting back to the whole thing about money why do you think bubba watson changed his balls was he just trying to be <laughs> extra quirky because i don't think a million dollars is a lot of money and like a ball is a fundamental thing in your game to change that and he's been nowhere since doing that i agree with you about a mil- so i've heard that he got a million dollars i've heard that he got a 1.2 million dollars for this volvic colored putt putt golf ball <laughs> endorsement that uh 
I, I, I didn't, that didn't sound like a lot to me, but I've heard that that is kind of a lot for a player of his stature to play the golf ball. So I don't know what he was getting from Titleist. I've heard an estimation that, again, this is not well-sourced, estimation of like 400000 yeah. So he got three times as much money to play the golf ball. But, of course, you have to ask yourself, is this going to cost me this much on the course over the course of a year? I would say absolutely. The golf ball is fundamental to your performance. And he, he did almost no – he admitted he did almost no testing on it. He said he took it out and he, <laughs> I, it can do everything I want to do. And then he put it in play. Like I just still don't understand this move at all. It makes no sense. Um, he's a complete non-factor in golf now at this point. I'm not, I have no problem with that. I'm definitely not a Bubba Watson fan, so um, I don't know. It, 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 it's it's baffling move. It was baffling when he did it. I'm, I, he's played even worse than I expected him to with it, um, and I, I don't understand it. I really don't. I think it has something to do with it. Part of the reason he said, well, I play a pink driver. Why wouldn't I play a pink ball? It's like, that's <laughs> what kind of logic is that? That is ridiculous, but... No, it's I, I, I've got no problem with seeing him, him not succeed because he's not the not the nicest guy on the planet. Yeah, I get that a lot. Whether I'm playing in prams down here or I've chatted to guys who have been on the tour or whatever, you always ask the basic questions like who's a really good guy, who's not such a good guy, who would you want to play with, all that kind of stuff. And the kind of consistent answer amongst all of that is that Bob, Bob is not really on the dinner list. But um, nope. you know, And also with those balls, it's not like his caddy needs any more stress. Can you imagine like, <laughs> the extra <laughs> negative banter that guy is now suffering? I don't know how much Bubba cares anymore. I, I, I'm, I'm just that. That's a little bit of speculation on my part, but because he's not really on TV too much anymore. But um, it, it, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem like he's that fiery anymore. Or he, again, he's not in contention, so we don't see it. But yeah, Ted Scott's got enough things to worry about uh, when it comes to you know managing Bubba. Now he's got to go track down these pink golf balls that he's spraying all over the yard. I'm <laughs> not envious of that task. So if you were to have, I mean, going forward, your, your interview resume has been quite impressive. Um, top three future interviews you're looking to get? Uh, Phil Mickelson is... Without uh, doubt, definitely. I, I'm going to go with the, the realistic ones. I, I'm going to say Tiger is not realistic. I don't think I have the ability to pull that. But would you really uh, want to interview him, though? I would. I would love to. Um, I would love the chance... I would it would have to be under certain circumstances and he would have to understand what it's about and that he's not I'm not going to like here I'm trying to sound like a badass interviewer and I'm really not I'm not going to let him get away with the cheesy answers but no I don't want him to you know do the press conference routine of it's part of the process and you know it's blah 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 I'm, I need my reps like I'd love to talk to him about life like how he experiences his life what it's like to be him I've always viewed him as not really a human, but he is a human. And, and it sounds weird to say, but he just seems like a robot to me for so long. So I would love to interview him. I don't think I'll have that opportunity. But uh, realistically, and I think I think these are all going to happen in the next three months. I'm not positive. It's These things can be very fickle. Sometimes, you know, I, I, I've had an interview lined up with a top 15 player in the world, and they canceled the day before, and I still haven't got them. So um, Phil is, like, number one on my list, and I, I think that's going to happen in the somewhat near future. Um, Patrick Reed I would obviously love to do, being the Ryder Cup fan that I am and big Reed fan. Um, David Faraday was always one that I just got to do, and uh, I'd love to do an in-person one with him with a little more time. I didn't get a whole lot of time with him. Um, and Ricky Fowler, I think, would be a good one. To, I, I don't know if, how good of a one he would be to do. Uh, I know he's one of the top players in the game and would love the chance to talk to him, but I feel like there's a lot more to him than 
than anyone's really uncovered. I'd like to at least try. I don't know how much he'd give me, but uh, uh, that's that's another guy I'd like to talk to. But man, the, the list keeps growing. I mean, I, some of the some of my favorite ones to do, like Matt Every was I love talking to that guy because he just doesn't care about anything. He he'll say anything. He doesn't care about making people upset or swearing. He was some you know some of those guys that the lesser known guys are you know some of the more fun interviews so uh my wasn't, list grows well, wasn't, wasn't he, he the guy that won the arnold palmer twice or the hundred twice he did yeah he did yeah so uh and he missed like 17 straight cuts yeah. and, <laughs> and 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 wanted to come on the podcast to talk golf like how how do you how do you like golf enough to want to do that i thought that was i thought that was really cool that's amazing. Well, Chris, we haven't got um, too much time. Um, you know, my show is still only an hour. I've always got to plug other sports as well. I'd, I'd love to just do longer interviews around golf. <laughs> um, well, like, what next for for No Laying Up? You know, we've we've obviously become accustomed to the fact that it's a really great podcast. You, you're, you're nice and frequent, which is a, another thing I can commend you on. What's the sort of next step? What are the sort of big goals from here? Uh, we are really trying to beef up the travel section of our website. Uh, it's something that we've got a lot of positive feedback on. Um, I've you know, got to say that that is my least favorite section because I just get too envious. I mean, like, <laughs> the, the trips you've been on have been insane. I try. I, I, I get that sense that some people are getting a little annoyed with some of it. I, <laughs> I understand that. Uh, my whole goal in that is to inspire people to travel. Um, I try really, really hard not to do the travel brag thing, but I'm real, also really bad at that. Um, so, yeah, it, it's kind of – I've gotten my inspiration to travel and play golf from the internet, from looking at pictures online, from hearing about courses and from you know whatnot. So I'm trying to give people what experiences I've gotten to have and inspire them to do it. And it, it has been effective. I've had people reach out to me. And say, you know, I didn't, I wasn't aware of this course until you, I read your article. What do you think about, should I go, is it worth driving two hours to? And I'll say, yes, blah, blah, blah. And kind of e- emailing with people about travel has been really fun. So we're, we're going to do a lot more of that. I'm going to Northern Ireland here in a couple of weeks, going to play a couple of those top courses. Um, and I'm doing a bunch of Scotland, uh, Scotland stuff this summer as well. So really beefing those up, trying to keep the podcast rolling. Uh, I'm going to be doing a lot more in-person stuff. I'm going to the Players Championship and the Memorial Tournament this year and hoping to catch some guys in person. I think, you know, you can, you're probably aware it can be tough to do phone interviews all the time. And, you know, yeah. if you're in the same room with somebody, you can read their body language. You can kind of, so you much know. Easier. Yeah, feed off of each other, and there's not a delay. Like there's a little bit of delay when you talk to somebody on the phone, and um, so uh, doing a lot more in-person stuff, in-person videos, and just really kind of ramping up our operation. I think uh, you know we've gotten to the point where we feel the kind of uh, I don't want to say obligation because it is a hobby and it is fun, but kind of you know we've got a, a followership and listenership that is pretty dependent on us to create content. So the goal is just to keep pounding it out. So. Uh, I don't know what's next. We're gonna we're hoping to do a lot more fresh stuff that we haven't fully fleshed out the ideas. It'd be too early for me to say, but a lot more video stuff and you know maybe some in person tournaments and whatnot back in the states. So dreaming big, gonna go for it though. It's called no laying up for a reason. We we go for it. <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah. Well, that's that's pretty much I think all the time for. If you are in ever in South Africa, you've got to come out and play some of the courses here. There is um, it's just it's super cheap by like international standards. The weather's pretty cool. It's a, I was there it's three months great, ago. And great we didn't play. <laughs> we could have played while I was in Cape Town, but uh, oh. no, I didn't bring my clubs down. But uh, you know, South Africa—that was 
going and visiting down there was one of the most amazing trips I've ever been on. Uh, you guys have some have some good stuff going on down there. I'd love to make it back down there at some point in my life. That's for sure. Well, if if you wait like maybe six months, the the dollar will be probably worth about twenty rand as well. So there's also that. <laughs> uh, I just want to see Gary Player's ranch, and I want to see his workout facility down there. That's what I want to come see. Well, you know he's selling it, huh? He's. I did not. I I, I think he's he's sensing the turning of the tides here, um, land wise. So he he's selling that place in Colesburg. But I'm I'm pretty sure he'll be around. He's always looking to inspire kids or either just guilt trip them in their nutrition or something like that. Well, he's traveled more miles than any person that's ever lived, so he's probably not there enough to to enjoy it. So, just like one more thing about Gary, I, I think someone's going to rein this guy in at the Masters because he's suddenly becoming like this the sideshow. <laughs> he's he's <laughs> trying he's trying so hard to make the Masters like his thing. I, I know it's a big deal because it's one of those tournaments he goes to and everyone absolutely loves him. Like he gets so much amazing like love in America. And uh, here in South Africa, people just go, yeah, I guess you were okay. So someone, someone actually told me the reason he is the way he is, right, this one-man hype machine, is that he felt that he had to re- tell people about South Africa, sorry, tell people in South Africa how great he is. Because during the days of apartheid, we obviously never got to, got to see him play, right? We always like mm-hmm. heard stories. So he came back here, and he was always telling people how amazing he is. And then it stuck. And I look at him. <laughs> He is like it does seem like he's trying to prove himself every step of the way. He can't go one interview without mentioning that he's traveled more miles than any human's ever lived and that he's does thirteen hundred sit ups every single day. It's like it's it's like clockwork. He does it every time and I laugh every single time. It's classic stuff. He, he is nonstop entertainment. What's really funny to me is like uh just taking like he's done Shane Bacon's podcast a couple of times and I want to just like mash up the question that Shane has asked and how Gary finishes it like hey Mr. Player how are you today and it'll end with like water we're going to be fighting war over resources here in the next few years if people don't figure out their health you fatties like it's just it's classic stuff. I love it. I can't look away. Uh, he is. He's definitely got a gospel. I was at a putting competition for this media thing once. And his, uh, he's got this invitational thing that he play, He has every year. And someone in the audience actually said to him, you know, Gary, how do I get better in those mid-length putts? I really feel like I'm near the hen or there with them. And he he ended off by saying, and that is why bacon is really bad for you, saturated fats are the devil, and that we should all be eating um, more green things. And everyone's just kind of going, I mean, like, do we clap? Do we laugh? Like, what happens now? Well, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Brendan Porath is a friend of mine. He works for SB Nation, and he was there, and he got a chance to do, like, a five-question thing with uh, – with Gary and Brennan's a pretty pretty big guy. He's got he's got a, he's got a belly to him, and uh, he says to his last question he asks Gary Player is uh, like, "All right, I want you to give me like a, an assessment of my physique." And Gary's like, "You serious?" He's like, "Yeah, I need you to be really really honest with me." And Gary's like, "Well, you know, we just met, but we're having some fun, but." Looking at you, I've seen your stomach. I bet you haven't seen your private parts in years, and that's sad. <laughs> I was crying reading that. I thought it was it was so cool at the end of that interview that way that he asked him that, and then Gary gave it to him. It was so good. Yeah, he he is quite a well humored old guy. I mean, he's like, did you see on Instagram today? There was a picture of him in a speedo on the beach, and he was tag- yeah. and, and he was tagging um, Speed and Fowler and those guys, saying he feels really le- left out of spring break this year. <laughs> <laughs> I did see that. That's that's a Gary Player move right there. Yeah, yeah he is quality. So, Chris, um, just to finish off, one big plug as far as website, Twitter, all that kind of stuff. 
Yep, we are on Twitter and Instagram at no laying up. We're no laying up dot com. Uh, you can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbay, all over the place. Um, and uh, we're doing YouTube, more YouTube stuff this year as well. But we're trying to bring it all together with, with a bit of synergy. And uh, but yeah, the best place to follow us is probably on Twitter at no laying up. Cool. Chris, thanks so much for time. I've really wanted to have a long chat with you for quite some time now. And um, thank you. Uh, I wish you all the best with this. I really look forward to all the different stuff you guys are going to keep doing. And um, yeah, enjoy the players and getting back stateside. Thank you for having me, Ben. It was fun. So it's at no laying up. That's Chris Solomon. It's just the, it's the greatest golf follow on the Twitter. So quickly, just to wrap it up, it, this weekend for Super Rugby, it is going to be, well, again, I think quite a straightforward weekend pick-wise. We got Crusaders versus Sunwolves 9.35 on Friday. Got to go Crusaders pretty heavy there. 35 plus around there. Saturday got the Reds versus the Kings 7.05. Kings were quite plucky last week, but they're going to come and stuck again. Won't be a huge result though. So I think Reds by about, I don't know, about eight I'll go. Uh, Blues versus Hurricanes. Sunny Bill Williams starts with the Blues. Um, still think the Hurricanes are going to have too much there. 9.35 Saturday morning. Go Hurricanes by about 10. Rebels versus the Brumbies. Rebels are far superior to anything in Australia right now, so I would back them for... Sorry, Brumbies have been far superior. Brumbies by 11, I would say, in that one. And then 5 past 5, Cheetahs versus the Stormers. Sorry, Cheetahs versus the, the Chiefs. That would be 3 past 5. That's 3 past 3. Sorry, I'm losing all shape here. I'm getting so excited for my long weekend. Got to go Chiefs there by about 15. Stormers versus the Lions. That's a quarter past uh, 5. Ooh, tough one. Going to think Stormers just going to edge it. And then final match, 7 o'clock, will be uh, the Bulls versus the Aguilares in uh, uh, Pretoria. Uh, Bulls not looking great. Just come back from a, a little tour. And uh, got to go, got to go for the Aguilares there. That's it for the Bounce Show this week. Catch everything if you have missed some parts of the show on thebounce.co.za. And any, as you know, any interview suggestions you may have or requests, just drop me a mail, Ben at thebounce.co.za. Hope you have a great long weekend. Hope you have lots and lots of Easter eggs and all those really good things. And remember, it's a big weekend of rugby. And if you're in the general Gauteng area, schoolboy rugby. So many great festivals, so much to watch there. Always good fun. Catch you back next week. Cliffcentral.com.